native Utah and Grand County and San Juan. They dig the yellow stuff that makes the atom bomb. They do the uranium miners boogie. The uranium miners boogie. It's the uranium miners boogie. They dig digging all day long. You are listening to Men in Lead Aprons. Everything you might want to know about radiation, the good, the bad, and the not yet known. This is a regular podcast from the Columbia University Center for Radiological Research from the heart of New York City. And here are your hosts, Dr. Eric Hall and Dr. David Brenner. Hello and welcome back to Men in Lead Aprons, a series of podcasts from the Center for Radiological Research at Columbia University in New York City. My name is Eric Hall, and for more than 20 years, I was director of the Center for Radiological Research. Uh, This is episode seven, and today we will discuss radon, which is a naturally occurring radioactive gas. It is the largest source of natural background radiation to the U.S. population, and is estimated to be responsible for about 15,000 deaths per year. So let me introduce now my fellow man in the lead apron, David Brenner, who is the current director of the Center for Radiological Research. Good morning, David. Good morning, and uh, welcome everybody from uh, Columbia University. So, David, radon doesn't seem to be in the news these days as much as it was several years ago. Has the problem gone away? Uh, The the issue of radon uh, is exactly the same as it was uh, 20 years ago and exactly the same as it was uh, 100 years ago. Uh, The radon problem is is with us. So, David, uh, before we get into any details about radon, can you tell us about the average radiation dose that people receive from natural causes as opposed to man-made radiation such as x-rays in the doctor's office? So you're quite right, Eric. There are two different sources of uh, radiation to which uh, we're all exposed. And uh, we've talked in the past about some of the man-made uh, sources. And uh, a particular one we've most been concerned about is CT scans. And we've had a whole uh, episode about CT scans. But in general, uh, the radiation exposure we get, uh, on average, is about half uh, man-made and that's mostly uh, medical exposures, and half uh, naturally occurring, um, nothing to do with uh, any, intervention, any in- interventions of, of people. So the naturally occurring radiations, uh, some of it is actually from uh, space, uh, from uh, galactic cosmic rays that come from afar. Some of it is from uh, uh, the natural background in, in, in soil, uh, it's a little bit there, some of it is from the fact that we are actually a little bit uh, radioactive. We have radioactive potassium, for example, in our bodies. Um, but most of it is from radon. Um, and, in fact, radon is clearly the single biggest source of radiation exposure on average uh, that we receive. So it's, it's even bigger than uh, CT scans, in fact. So, David, uh, would you like to tell us exactly what radon is Well, the very short answer to your question, Eric, is that radon is a naturally occurring radioactive gas. But settle in for a few minutes, and I'll tell you the full story of what it is and where it comes from. As I said, radon is a radioactive element. In other words, atoms of radon will ultimately spontaneously change or decay from radon to become another element. 
And when they do this, they will emit radiation, uh, specifically an alpha particle. I presume that out of doors, the tiny amounts of radon gas that leak out of the ground will be massively diluted in the air. So under what conditions does radon pose a danger? Well, you're absolutely right, Eric. Uh, Once radon gas gets into the outside, uh, it's very much diluted and and absolutely is not a danger. So the issue is uh, indoors. And, of course, the nearer that indoors is to the ground, uh, the more the risk. So the biggest risk, for example, is in basements. The next biggest risk would be in ground floors. And once you're in a high-rise and and a high floor in a high-rise, there's essentially no risk at all. Well, I remember from our first podcast that alpha particles are one of the three types of radiation that we talked about. Uh, There are alpha rays, beta rays, and gamma rays. So continue the story. Where does radon come from? Well, radon ultimately comes from another radioactive element, which is uranium. Uranium is a naturally occurring element that is actually present in all rocks and soils, only in very small quantities, maybe one atom in a million on average, although different rocks contain different amounts of uranium, and we'll come back to that later. So uranium is also radioactive, so atoms of uranium inside rocks and soils will spontaneously change or decay to produce yet another radioactive element, which is thorium, which in turn produces yet another radioactive element, and yet another, and yet another, and many more until we reach radon. So what's so special about radon? First recall something we discussed in our first podcast about the uh, alpha particles that are emitted during these radioactive decays. So these alpha particles have an incredibly short range, less than a thousandth of an inch. So they don't travel very far at all. And so if they're produced inside rocks or soil, they're never going to get out of that piece of rock or soil. So these alpha particles will never reach us. But here's what's so special about radon. Radon is gas. So when it's produced inside rocks and soils, it can potentially diffuse up through cracks in the rocks or or the soil and actually reach the surface and so get into the air that we breathe. Radon has a half-life of about four days before it actually decays, and that's often enough time for it to reach the surface and get into the air. As I recall, uh, radon certainly became an issue back in the 80s, uh, and there was a very interesting story that you told me once about it. Would you like to repeat that here for our friends? For sure, and, and this story is about a gentleman called Stanley Watrous. So Stanley Watrous was actually a nuclear engineer, and he lived in uh, Pennsylvania, in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And he was working on the Limerick nuclear power plant, which was in the 1980s was being built. And at the time uh, of of where we're talking about, uh, it it hadn't been uh, turned on, the nuclear reactor, but the radiation alarms were already in place. So one day on the morning, actually in, in December 1983, Stanley Watrous actually set off the radiation alarms uh, going into the nuclear power plant. Normally they're designed to make sure nothing comes out of a nuclear power plant. But here he is setting off uh, all the radiation alarms going in. And so there was an enormous fuss. What what was going on? How could he possibly be setting the uh, alarms going in? So there was an enormous fuss when this happened. Uh, What could it be that was actually setting off the alarms going into the nuclear power plant? 
And it turned out that uh, Stanley Watrous lived in a house where the radon level was actually one of the highest that's ever been detected in this country. So that was the... Uh, immediately the story got into the uh, newspapers and the media and really the radon story, which was all, already there uh, and been there forever, really hit uh, the public attention, and, and rightly so. So, David, what are the health hazards of radon? So, again, I'll start by giving you the short answer, and that's that the only significant health hazard associated with radon gas is lung cancer. But settle in again, and I'll tell you how this comes to be. Again, it comes back to the fact that the alpha particles that radon emits have a very, very short range. They only go very short distances after they are created uh, through a decay of a radon atom. So these alpha particles can't, for example, penetrate even the very outer layers of our skin. And even if we breathe in an atom of the radon gas, and should it decay while it's inside our lungs, the alpha particle that's produced still won't have enough range to reach the sensitive cells on the surface of our lungs. So if I understand this correctly, alpha particles from radon itself are actually not dangerous at all. Well, ironically enough, that's absolutely right. But let's now think what happens when a radon atom in the air does radioactively decay. As we discussed, an alpha particle is emitted that can't harm us, but what happens to the radon atom itself? It actually gets transformed into yet another radioactive atom, and that's called polonium. Now, polonium, unlike radon, is a solid. So what will happen to it when it's formed somewhere in the air? Well, what will happen to this polonium atom is that it will actually attach itself to a nearby piece of dust in the air. As you know, the air is full of dust particles, uh, or aerosols, as they're sometimes called. So now we have dust particles in the air with radioactive atoms attached to them. What happens if we breathe in these dust particles? So now we're getting to, to the crux of the matter. Actually, our lungs are incredibly good at filtering out dust or dirt in the air that we breathe. And they do this by having a sticky stuff, mucus, on the surface of our upper airways. So the dust particles actually stick to the surface of our upper airways in our lungs. But here's the thing. If these dust particles have radioactive polonium attached to them, and the polonium decays and emits an alpha particle while uh, the atom is stuck to the inner surface of our lung, now the alpha particle actually does have just enough range to damage the cells on the surface of our lung, and so potentially produce a damage that potentially will end up as lung cancer. Well, that's quite a complicated story. Uh, so does this complicated process really result in any significant number of lung cancers? It's a good question and an interesting one because the health consequence of radon is lung cancer. But of course the 500-pound uh, gorilla in, in the corner of uh, lung cancer is of course smoking. So smoking is an enormous uh, producer, as, as we know, of mm -hmm. lung cancer. So trying to figure out what the effects of radon gas are in terms of lung cancer are always made more complicated by the fact that uh, you've got this enormous producer of lung cancer, which is, uh, which is cigarette smoking. So the, the thing which you might expect to be able to do, which is basically to go into houses that have high radon levels and look at lung cancer rates in the, uh, in, in the occupiers of those houses, turns out to be very difficult. And uh, because you can't take into account properly the effects of smoking. 
So what's you, what's been done in the past uh, is to actually look at uranium miners. So uranium miners essentially uh, are people who go down mines and, and dig out uranium and therefore are subject to much higher levels of radon than, uh, than you or I in, in houses could possibly be. So you can see the effects of uh, the radon much uh, in a much easier way um, relative to the effect of smoking. So what's usually done is you look for uh, the effects of radon in uranium miners and then extrapolate to what the risks might be in homes that have lower levels of uh, radon. So David, while we're talking about uh, uranium miners, uh, this brings up the case of the theme tune with which we introduce all of these men in lead uh, apron uh, podcasts. Where did that come from? I'd never heard it until uh, you uh, showed it to me a little while ago. So the background to this is that uh, in the 1950s, the, the U.S. government and, and many other governments too were very interested in digging up as much uranium as possible particularly because that was the time when nuclear weapons were uh, being built, and they were mainly being built out of uh, uranium. So there is an area in uh, the southwest of the USA, Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah, which have a lot of granite and therefore a lot of uh, uranium. And there was a whole small cottage industry at the time of digging up uh, uranium and then selling it to the U.S. government. So that song, the Uranium Miners Boogie, which was actually by Riley Walker and the Rocking R Rangers, was recorded in 1954. And Riley Walker actually was a uranium miner or uranium miner worker. And he recorded this song. I think it was the only song he ever recorded. That's what we're playing at the beginning and the end of each of our podcasts. Well, that, that was very uh, interesting, uh, David. Now we should get back to the... Uh uranium miners and how the study of them has led to some risk estimates for radon. So back to uranium miners and using the uranium miners to try and understand the effects of, uh, of radon. So there have been uh, a number of studies of the uranium miners in terms of uh, how much uh, radon they were exposed to and how many lung cancers they actually uh, ended up getting. And sure enough, they certainly got an increased level of lung cancer. So it's been possible to relate the radon level that they got to uh, the lung cancer uh, rate. And actually, that was the, the big study that uh, was uh, involved in that was the so-called Bayer um, Biological Effects of Ionizing Radiation 6, Bayer 6 study, back in the 2000. Basically, what came out of that study was that about one in ten of all lung cancers uh, in this country uh, are probably associated with radon. And there are about 150,000 lung cancer deaths per year in, in this country. So that means about 15,000 lung cancers uh, are associated with uh, radon. Just to muddy the waters a little, uh, David, it seems to me that when that figure came out, they were at length to point out that essentially all of them were smokers. Uh, it's true, Eric, that uh, yeah, that 15,000 uh, number that I quoted, that's a number of people uh, whose lung cancers are associated with radon. Well, indeed, they are mostly smokers, so their lung cancer is projected to be in 
projected to have been uh, produced by a mixture of uh, smoking and radon. Um, so you need both for, for most, in most cases. The other snippet I seem to remember from the time is that a, an important subpopulation of the miners were the Navajo Indians because in general smoke, uh, miners are heavy smokers but there was a subset of miners who are Navajos who don't smoke and that gave a, a, a very clear indication that you could have uh, lung cancer from radon without smoking. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. That uh, while, while it's people who are smoking are at higher risk for radon, uh, we learned from the Navajo Indians who, don't, who generally don't smoke that you can still get uh, radon-induced lung cancer whether you smoke or not. So let's, let's move on uh, now to um, not the miners who are in uranium mines with very high levels, but uh, ordinary citizens living in different sorts of houses, um, a house in the suburbs with a basement or uh, on the uh, 50th floor of an apartment building in New York City. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, uh, recall that uh, the, the radon gas is coming out of the ground, so it kind of goes without saying that the lower uh, the, 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 the floor level, the higher the radon level is going to be. So in general, uh, basements are going to have the highest uh, level of radon inside uh, a home. Uh, the first floor will have, a higher le uh, will have a lower level. The second floor will have a still lower level. The third floor will have a still lower level. So essentially in a high rise, you don't have a radon problem. And the radon problem is mostly in homes that have uh, uh, basements. But also, David, are there not some areas of the country where you have a lot higher radon levels than others? Yeah, very much so. It's, it's very uh, mixed indeed. So again, let, let me come back to where we started from, is that radon is a uh, product of uranium. And uranium tends to be high in areas where the rock is granite. So if you look for areas where there is granite rock, that generally correlates with areas that are going to have high radon concentrations. And I'll give you one big example, and that's the so-called Redding Prong. So the Redding Prong is, uh, is a geographic formation of, of uh, granite rock. And it starts in Redding, Pennsylvania, hence the Redding Prong but it's, it goes all the way through Pennsylvania, through New Jersey, through Upper New York, and ends up in um, Connecticut. So it's a huge area and a very built-up area. So that is one of the big areas that we worry about in terms of uh, houses and in terms of radon. Um, but I'm, I must say it's, it's not that predictable because, again, coming back to uh, our original description of how radon comes out of the ground, it, it basically comes uh, through cracks in rocks and makes its way to the surface. So you can't predict whether there are going to be cracks in the rocks under your house or not. Um, so two houses, one next door to, to one another, are uh, perfectly likely to have very different uh, radon levels. And in fact, in the, the homes around Stanley Wattress's home in uh, Boyertown, Pennsylvania, some of those had equally high uh, radon levels compared with the Wattress house, but some had very low levels. And it really depends on the exact details of the rock underneath uh, your, your home. So you can't really predict radon levels entirely based on, uh, on geology.
So, David, anyone who's tried to sell a house um, in recent years knows that uh, red-on is going to be mentioned <coughs> at some time during the negotiation. So the next um, thing I think we should explain is uh, how do you uh, measure what the red-on levels are in a house? Um, indeed, and actually it, it's really very easy. Um, so there, there are so-called short-term tests which basically tell you the average radon level over the course of a week or so. And then there are so-called long-term tests which uh, give you a, a better picture, an average over several months. So both of these, uh, these tests basically work in the same way, that you buy over the internet or, or through, through the mail a, a little testing device. You put it in your house. If it's a short-term test, just for a week or so, it's a long-term test for a couple of months. And then you send it back to the company, and they read out the, uh, the answer for you. And they're very inexpensive, these uh, detectors, uh, $20, $25, something like that. So uh, it's, it's very easy to do. You don't have to do anything. You just uh, unwrap the detector, put it um, uh, in, in the appropriate room, and just leave it. You don't do anything. And then after a week or a couple of months, send it back to the company, and they'll give you give you the answer. The obvious next question is, so what do I do if I find that the radon levels are high in my house? So let's talk about what high actually is. So the EPA, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, has defined what they call an action level of radon, meaning a level which it makes sense to actually do something about it. And this, uh, this action level is four picocuries per liter. So that's the normal measurement that's at least used in this country of, uh, of, of radon. It's in picocuries per liter, how many curies of radioactivity you have in a liter of air. Um, there is another unit, which is the Becquerels per meter cube, but let's, let's stick to picocuries per liter because that's the one that's pretty universally used in this country. So if you, when, when your answer comes back from the company, if it's below four picocuries per liter, um, I certainly don't have to think any more about it. Uh, if it's above uh, four picocuries per liter, well, if it's a, an awful lot above that, you should certainly seriously, seriously think about doing something, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment. If it's round about four picocuries per liter, well, then you should probably have a long-term test. So you've had your week-long short-term test. Uh, go and buy yourself the, uh, the long-term test, and let's see what the average is over winter and summer, for example. Because it's clearly going to make a difference. Uh, in, win in summer, you have your windows open, and so there's uh, less buildup of radon gas. In uh, winter, you have the uh, windows closed, and so there's more buildup of radon gas. So it makes sense to kind of do an average over winter and summer and uh, have a long-term test. So that's, that's the next step if you're short-term test is uh, above four picocuries per liter, have a long-term test. So suppose all goes badly and all tests show it's high. Uh, is this a disaster? Uh, how much does it cost and what can you do to bring this down to near the action level? Well, let me say, first of all, it's not a disaster. The, the, this, the, the thing about radon is that it's a fixable problem. Um, so the, there are essentially two fixes. Well, one, one I would describe as a hard fix and one as an easier fix. The hard fix uh, is if you're a smoker, stop smoking. 
because we've already talked about the fact that smokers are much higher risk in terms of radon uh, risks than, uh, than non-smokers. So stopping smoking is the best thing, absolutely, that you can do to reduce your uh, lung cancer risk from radon. But I, I will agree that that's a pretty tough thing to do, and many smokers have tried anyway to give up smoking. But there is, so there is a second thing you can do, which is to bring down the radon concentration in your house. And that basically requires a little bit of plumbing, uh, and not too expensive plumbing. Um, and the technique is called subfloor depressurization, or sometimes sub-slab depressurization. And the idea is you're, you're going to put a pipe underneath your house, in, in the dirt underneath, underneath your house, and you're going to attach the, to this pipe uh, a pump, and the pump would typically be uh, at the top of your house. So you have a pipe which starts underneath your house, goes all the way up through your house and to a pump uh, in, in the, uh, near the roof. And what you're trying to do here is basically lower the pressure uh, underneath uh, your home so that there is a, a flow of air going from your home into the ground as opposed to the flow of air going from the ground into your home. You're not essentially trying to pump the radon away from, from your house. That's pretty well impossible. What you're trying to do is to change the, the air flow so that it goes from the house into the uh, ground rather than from the ground into the house. And it's a pretty simple uh, piece of plumbing. And as I say, it's a, it's a pipe and it's a little pump. And uh, typically costs anywhere from 1000 to $2,000, uh, depending on the size of your house and uh, the, the cost of the plumbing. And running the pump is very inexpensive. It's a very small pump. And this really works. I mean, this can dramatically reduce the radon level in a high radon level home. So that's that's what you should really consider doing if you have a high radon level in your home. In most places uh, in the U.S., I've been told that there's a mandatory seller's disclosure about radon. In other words, if you're trying to sell your house, you've got to own up to whether or not you've had a radon test and what the answer is. And how, do, how does that affect buyers and sellers? Well, I think, Eric, it's, it's a little bit different in every state, which has, has different regulations. But I think most states have, have what's called mandatory seller's disclosures, where the seller has to disclose uh, if he or she knows any problems associated with the house. Now, if the seller actually hasn't done a radon test, then they don't know whether or not there's a problem. And so they're actually, by law, generally not obligated to uh, disclose radon levels because they haven't measured them. But if you were a buyer and you're looking at the mandatory seller disclosure and radon wasn't there at all, you might wonder why it was that radon isn't there at all. And you might insist on a radon uh, uh, test being done. And again, um, it's in no way you should consider radon to be a deal breaker And if, if you found your dream home and there's a radon problem. Because remember that uh, to fix the radon problem in a high radon home uh, requires only a bit of plumbing and uh, an outlay of somewhere in the $1,000 to $2,000 range, which is, of course, negligible relative to the price of your, your, your dream home. So... 
it should not be a uh, a, a killer for uh, a house transaction. Nevertheless, uh, we you should know what the radon level is before you uh, sign the contract on your house. So, David, can we come to some conclusion? Is is radon really an important problem? Uh, how many houses in the country are affected by this, and can we do anything about um, reducing this 15,000 death toll from radon? So there's a, there's a pile of questions there, Eric. I'll try, I'll try to answer those in order. So, so yeah, I think radon is a really important issue. Um, we talked about the EPA's four picocuries per litre uh, action level when you should think about uh, uh, doing something about the radon in your home. So how many homes is that? Well, it turns out that it's about one home in 15. So that's an enormous amount of homes. Actually, in this country, that corresponds to about 8 million homes. So there are 8 million homes where there is a radon issue and you really should be doing something about it. So your your last question is, well, can the death toll uh, that we believe is somewhere around uh, 15 or 20,000 deaths per year associated with uh, uh, radon be reduced? And, and again, the answer is yes, because you can reduce radon levels in homes. And thinking about the big picture, there's, there's two ways of doing that. Um, as we've talked about, there's individual subfloor depressurization in homes that have uh, high levels of radon. But you'd also like uh, all homes in this country to have their radon levels reduced. And that comes down to something which is uh, extremely uninteresting to most of us, and that's building regulations. So uh, uh, as many different uh, states and, uh, and cities actually have specific building regulations for new homes about uh, making sure that they are uh, built in a way where radon reduction is very easy to do. And really, in fact, that's actually the, one of the, uh, the longer-term solutions to the whole radon problem is building regulations. So uh, I think we can, we can uh, kind of end our story on perhaps not the most exciting part of the, uh, the story, building regulations. But really, it is a big, uh, a big story, radon. One in 15 homes, 8 million houses, 15,000 deaths a year. Those, those are big numbers. Well, thank you, uh, David. I think it's time to bring this uh, discussion to to an end. We've tried to um, give an objective view of of, of radon, uh, the biggest source of radiation from uh, natural sources that uh, we all face, uh, unless perhaps we live in a high-rise in New York City. But everybody who lives in a house with a basement is bound to have some exposure to uh, radon, and having the levels measured Uh, clearly a sensible thing to do, uh, whether or not you're going to put the house on the market. That's all from Men in Lead Aprons for this episode. Just a reminder, please rate and review us on iTunes on the Men in Lead Aprons page, or if you have comments and questions, please visit our website, which is crr.columbia.edu. There is a link to Men in Lead Aprons where you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us directly.